I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturopedic.com. That's naturopedic.com. Welcome back to Parent Talk. It's good to be back with our listeners, especially uh, this session, which is, I think, really important session. A lot of people sometimes approach it with a little bit of dread, but I'm actually excited about the conversation, Susan. It's about how to manage someone in the family passing, how your child can respond to that, might respond to that, how parents can help their child respond to that. And just saying the word death can sometimes be off-putting, but it's such a universal part of life. I, I really am thrilled in the past and how much help we've offered parents when we talk about this subject. So it's important. I think it's going to be a very life-affirming, actually, and looking forward to the conversation. Right. You know, Arthur, everyone out there who's a parent wants to protect their child. They want to protect them from physical harm and emotional harm. And this is one of those things that does come up. Unfortunately, most young children will experience the death of a loved one sometime before they get out of their teens, whether it's a grandparent or a great-grandparent. And like you, I have received many phone calls from people actually sometimes in the hospital sobbing, saying that my parent is dying. What do I tell my children? So I think a good place to start is to talk about just how kids think about death. You know, it might be interesting someday to hear about how adults think about death. I'm sure it varies quite a bit from person to person, but we know kids come at it differently at different ages. And I think a good place to begin with is a universal, a sense about managing strong emotions. Because I think what makes people a little uncomfortable when you use the word death is the strength of the emotions attached to it. So I think we want to frame this discussion with the sense that really from the very beginning, when babies born and throughout their entire lives, there's a funny thing about emotions. Now, a newborn obviously can't talk about happy and sad and shame and et cetera, but they do feel things and they especially feel things that their mother and father feel. So from the very beginning of birth onward, we know that emotions are shared across people living together almost instantaneously and very powerfully, even if nothing is said at all. I've actually seen when a parent is very nervous or anxious and they hold their baby, the baby like a switch goes off and they start crying. They feel the anxiety. So we, I've actually seen emotions flow from person to person, even when one of the people is a newborn. So what's going to follow here is a review of how a person's own understanding of emotion is experienced by others and by themselves, how that emerges over the course of a life. But no matter what, whether we're talking about a toddler or a grade school or a teenage child, keep in mind throughout that the feeling itself is experienced almost immediately across all ages. Absolutely. And let's start with infants and toddlers. You, you talked about an infant reacting to a parent's anxiety or tension. And of course, when you're talking about an infant or a toddler, they have absolutely no comprehension of the finality of death. They're not going to see it or hear it or understand it in a way that even a young school age child would. And one of the things that I like to remind parents is that they know this. They know that their infant can't understand that great-grandma died or grandma died, but they might notice that their child is clingier or has more difficulty uh, sleeping or seems fussy at the bottle or the breast. 
And that is exactly goes back to what you just said, Arthur. A child is going to pick up. The parent is going to be sad. They're going to be feeling that grief. And that is going to get translated to the child. And what I will tell parents during this time when their child is reacting is that those feelings are real and they've got to feel them and their child is going to respond. What I do to help to support the parent is just remind them, As your grief begins to subside, as you begin to accept the death of this loved one, your child will relax as well and your routines will get reestablished. Not to get too hung up on the immediate disruption that's going on in the family, because there will be some. And across all ages, and we'll say it's very, very relevant to even the newborn, certainly infant and toddler. They're not going to use the word death. They don't know what the word death means, but they know your feelings, as we said. So across a lot of cultures, the tradition amongst adults, the way you find comfort in your grief is to share stories of the person you lost. Because when you share stories, they come back to life and the loss is alleviated. Grief is really love for someone who's missing and telling stories brings them back. They're not as missing. So the discomfort is relieved. And when your discomfort is relieved, guess what? Your baby's comfort is relieved. So when we talk about death and loss and the impact on young children, it's important for the parents to take care of themselves and know that when they're comforted, that helps comfort their baby and toddler. Right. And when we're going a little bit older, when you're talking about sharing those stories, a preschool age child, um, a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old um, child is really going to listen to those stories as they would listen to their bedtime stories. It helps to normalize the idea of death. And I don't mean that death is something that you welcome, but it is a normal part of life. And it shows them that we're not afraid to talk about that person. That person is still a part of our lives in the sense that we're talking about them, looking at pictures of them, remembering fun things that we did together. That's a key element for helping the preschool child get through this. And you will note that for preschool children, they're just beginning to understand about the finality of death And really, what does it mean to be dead? The interesting thing is, you know, you say grandpa died and the child will say, yes, yes, I know grandpa's dead, but he'll still be at my birthday party, right? (laughs) And this will sometimes really shock parents because they think that they've set the stage. They've told them that grandpa was very ill. Grandpa died. He doesn't breathe. He doesn't eat. And if you're four years old, yeah, yeah, I get all that, but he's still coming to my party, right? And you have to know that that is a normal part of child development. Children understand the finality of death as early as five, by six or seven, they really do understand that the person isn't coming back. But the uh, three, certainly four-year-old preschool child that we're talking about doesn't have any idea what that means. And that's why taking advantage of moments when death nicely appears, you know, it's not frightening. I mean, there's not a lot of grieving when a flower wilts or a bug dies. So it's a nice opportunity to point out that one of the main properties of life, one of the main things that makes life life is that it ends. And there it is. There's an ant that's no longer moving around and it will never come back and move around again. And once the flower wilts, it never blooms again. We're part of that too. And we flower and bloom and then we end our lives and we don't come back. Now, when you talk about that, I want to highlight again the importance of stories because I actually believe that even what we're talking about together here, Susan, is part of a story that we've put together for people. We can't understand anything in the world. No one can understand anything anything in the world without a story, which is why I think young kids love books because that's the frame, first framework they use to try to make sense of anything, their first stab at their understanding of what's going on. Now, 
in every family, there's going to be stories about what happens after you die. Every person, every adult has an idea in their head about what that is. For a secular person who's not connected to any particular religious tradition, the story is the atoms reconfigure into something else, soil, trees, air, whatever. In a secular mind, there's no afterlife or reward. But, you know, many people belong to a whole range of religious traditions that have totally different stories. And so we like to have people think even for the preschool child, the three and four year old who doesn't know what death means, it's not a bad time to begin to tell some of the stories about how their tradition handles narrating what happens after you die, including the secular one where you become part of the world in another way. I think that that's very important for parents to keep in mind. If they do not believe in an afterlife or reward or punishment or that somebody is with God in heaven, they should not be telling that to their child. They should stay true to their beliefs, whether they're religious or secular. But there's a question out there that I think that parents may be asking, and that is, well, how do I even initially tell my child that someone that they love has died? And in our family, just recently, my granddaughter, who was five, lost her other grandmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had been ill for a while. So my granddaughter knew this. And my daughter said, do you think you could help me tell her? Because it's a very big step. It's a very difficult thing to do. So what we said is that you know that your Oma, that's what they called her, has died. And then this is what I always suggest to parents. Stop for a minute and ask your child this very important question. Do you know what I mean when I say that somebody died? Because then you get to have an idea of where your child is coming from. My granddaughter was five and really on the cusp of this. And she said, yes, in a cartoon, when someone gets smushed, they can get up. But in real life, Oma's not going to get up anymore. I was actually stunned. She put it very succinctly and she understood it very clearly. And then we knew where we could go from that. We didn't have to expect her to say, oh, must coming to my birthday party or this or that. It was really helpful for, for me as a grandparent, for my daughter as the mother, to be able to then help her go to the next step. That's right. When it comes to loss, if you don't tell the full story, whoever you're talking to at any age will fill in the blanks. And whatever they fill in the blanks with, it's almost always a problem. As upsetting as those facts that you just shared are, and my condolences for your daughter's uh, mother-in-law's loss, giving the child the straight-up facts in a concise fashion is very respectful, very helpful. It allows her to construct her story on solid ground. She doesn't have to like reconstruct it, <laughs> tear apart stuff that wasn't true later on. So I really like that approach. When we're talking about school-age children... We now we have children who completely and clearly understand that death is final. School age children and even older preschool children can get very anxious about death. In fact, about the age of five or six, children can almost see obsessed with death. And that's because they really do see that it's final. And they will worry very, very much, not just about their own death, but also what will happen to them. They worry about parents dying and other people that take care of them because they're thinking, well, who's going to take care of me if something happens to my mother or father? It sounds like a very egocentric, and it is, but again, it's typical child development. And, you know, it turns out, I think, Susan, we can all say we're all egocentric because what greater threat is there to any of us than death? It's very powerful as you begin to be aware of what death is really about for yourself, not just an aunt dying or a flower or a grandfather dying, but you dying. We come up against something that, you know, I think all of our listeners still, I know I struggle with even today, which is sort of terrifying to think it's all going to be over. 
and what happens to everyone I love and what happens to everything that's a big part of my life. So at different ages, people respond to that dread and fear differently. We don't talk about that much to the preschool child, but beginning with a school-age child, and school-age are really talking about kindergarten up to puberty, a loss of someone they care about could really provoke a lot of worry about what's going to happen to them. And you'll see what we call acting out. What's acting out? That's something we talk about in other podcasts, too. It happens all over the place. But acting out is when you have a feeling at any age, and you're not sure what to do with it. And so your body just does something to act on the emotion, because your brain doesn't like just sitting with emotion. It likes to do something with it best thing I could do with it is talk about it, but that's not always the first step for people. And so when kids get scared, they might start screaming, they might get irritable, might eat more, they might eat less. And those examples might feel very familiar <laughs> to adults. It happens when they get wound up or upset. But we begin to see that around the school age child, it just gets even more so in adolescence. Exactly. I was just going to say that when you have an adolescent, it's really a dichotomy here because on one part, the adolescent brain sort of sees themselves as immortal. And you can see this because of the, the risks that teenagers take all the time. And you think, how, what could, what were they thinking? Well, guess what? <laughs> they weren't thinking with the part of their brain that makes good decisions. But on the other hand, they're, they're feeling this grief and they're feeling the death. So they're sort of pulled in two different directions. No one dies. I'm not going to die. Uh-oh, somebody I love died. And an adolescent can be quite defiant. They can be in denial. They can actually be so irritable and difficult to be with, with their parent. Whatever their parent says is going to be the wrong thing to say. The adolescent could possibly react in a negative way. And I really should say, sometimes even with that four and five and six-year-old, a parent is expecting them to cry or to show grief. Well, you know something? It can be anything from completely ignoring it as though you didn't tell me anything important to crying, to laughing, or to anything else in between that might even appear inappropriate, but it's not. Again, we're talking about typical child development. A young child is going to have a range of emotions to the loss of somebody that they loved. And the adolescent is going to, too. This is not something that goes away. And as you always have been pointing out, Arthur, even as adults, how many adults do you know who have had the loss of a spouse or of a parent? And has their reaction been exactly the same? Is everyone's reaction the same? Absolutely not. No two people are the same, just just as their love is different. If grief is love, then, you know, grief's going to be as fingerprinted, unique and identifiable as the love was. So with that panorama of how kids think about death, let's talk about how you actually tell someone that, let's say, the grandparent has died. I think we want to start with the fact that a natural reflex on the part of all parents, we all feel this way, is why would I want to get my child upset? Why would I want them to feel hurt? Why would I want them to feel any grief or anxiety about something terrible happening? And so a natural reaction is to try to hide it. We often hear stories about, well, yes, grandpa died. We're not ready to tell the children yet, as if there's a time where it's okay and they're not going to run into feelings about it. And our advice is not to hide it. And, and we go back to what we said before about feelings. As soon as the parent feels grief, everyone in the house will feel that grief. So you may choose not to give words to what happened, but you have no control over sharing the feeling. The feeling transmits, we don't know how, but it definitely transmits to everyone in the house. Just like if a kid got a C on a test and get an A on, everyone in the house feels that tension. Don't feel as though you can actually protect your child from this bad news. You really can't because the emotion is shared. I think it's a beautiful thing, actually, that we can't protect ourselves from each other's emotions that way. I'm glad we can share them. But knowing that they feel it means you can go right ahead 
and tell them what happened and know that you're not introducing something they didn't know already. They do know already. And I will tell you that, especially if you're looking at the younger child, parents often think they're not listening. They don't understand if I'm on the phone to the hospital, if I'm talking to my sister in another city and I'm saying, mom isn't doing very well. Trust me, the child is picking up bits and pieces of these conversations and it's very worrisome for them. We even have a name for that. It's called referential listening. And it means that a child picks up little bits of information from telephone conversations, from conversations in the home, from things that they're seeing, and they put two and two together and they get five. I know so many parents will say they don't know anything about it. And when we talk to the child, we see that the child has made up their own narrative to go with the little bits of information that they're getting. And often that narrative is a lot scarier than the reality. It's so helpful to hear what your child at any age now is thinking when you share the news that someone they love died. So you're going to end up telling your child in some way or another. And soon after that, like immediately after, you want to listen to them and and get an idea. What are you thinking? You know, what do you understand about what I said? What questions do you have? And they'll guide you as to where they're at with that. And you can go down the line, helping them fill out their story at whatever age, whatever level they're at based on their understanding. But there's a couple of things we want to be sure you avoid. Some very common temptations that don't help. So we don't like the idea of using a different word for dying that doesn't mean dying. The one that's used most often is sleeping. So we we don't recommend that we tell people grandma is sleeping and isn't coming back because now they're going to be afraid to go to sleep. And you don't want to say, well, grandpa's gone on a very long vacation because what happens if you go, you know, drive across the country next summer? So um, you just want to be honest. If you don't want to use the word died, you can say passed away, no longer with us. But whatever the phrase is, it should mean the same thing as dying. I absolutely agree with that, of course. And a lot of parents will say to me, all right, all right, I'm going to tell them that grandma's in the hospital and she's not doing very well. Well, what do I exactly say? And you can say that they're very, very sick. The doctors are trying to get them better. But you have to be clear, especially if you know that the person is terminal, that sometimes doctors can't get people better and then they die. But then, especially if your child is four, five, six, or seven, it's very important for you to say, you know, sometimes you get sick and you have to go see Dr. Lavin and he gives you some pink medicine and it makes your ear feel better or your throat feel better. You have to say that's very, very different from the kind of sick that grandma is. It's not the same because children, again, being egocentric, are going to say, I I get sick sometimes. You know, I have to go to the doctor. What if the doctor can't get me better? The reason I add this is that I have had parents in the effort to be completely up front and to tell their child what really is happening, have really gone overboard, have told them too much. That's a little bit of a balance act to give them enough information to satisfy their curiosity and what they need to know and giving them too much information, information that they can't possibly process at a younger age. Now, once they do know that someone's died and you've shared that information and you've responded to their understanding of it as you understand their level of uh, comprehension. Then there's three things that we think are very helpful to think about uh, after they hear the news. Right. One of them is to make a picture or a memory book with your child. Kids love this. 
especially if you have pictures of the loved one with the child, it allows the child again to tell their story. They can look through those pictures and say, do you remember when we played Frisbee with grandpa? Do you remember when we went to the amusement park with grandma? Do you remember when I was baking cookies with, with auntie? It allows you to talk about the dead person with the child in a positive way, if you will. And, you know, that, of course, reinforces a great theme of this whole discussion, which is that story is the most powerful tool we have for understanding anything, especially very powerful things like the loss of a loved one. So that's another reflex we'd like to advise people to avoid, which is the thought that if you talk about the person who died, you're provoking a bad feeling in other people in the family. No, again, the feeling is there. Talking about the person allows the feeling to be softened, managed, lived, experienced. And then the last thing we like to recommend is that it's okay to cry and it's okay to be sad. It's okay to grieve in front of your child. And as we said before, each person's grief is different. And so I'm not going to tell people how to grieve here. In fact, just the opposite. You should find your path to grieving, but whatever it is, if it's something that is very demonstrative, that's fine because your child, again, is going to feel your grief, even if you don't show any action. So any action you do doesn't introduce the feeling again. So yes, cry, be upset, be angry, yell if need be. You don't have to construct a different story than your own story in front of your child for your grief. Absolutely agree. And how we're going to end this podcast is the funeral. Many, many parents say to me, do I bring my child to the funeral? And this is a situation where I think that most children manage a funeral very, very well with some preparation. And what I always suggest is that, yes, bring your three or four or five-year-old to the funeral. Because again, just like what I talked about with the referential listening, the child is going to see the whole family go off, maybe even go into with the funeral cars, and they're going to be left there with a babysitter. Can you imagine what goes on in their mind? It's far better for them to attend the funeral with some preparation. People may be crying, people will be wearing dark colors, but also to have a designated adult, somebody who's not an immediate part of the family who will be grieving to be that child's special person, someone that the child knows, of course, so that if the child gets antsy and they have to walk around either in the cemetery or in the funeral home, let them walk away. Somebody who can explain things to the child, if it's an older child asking questions, you know, what's going on. Somebody who's just there for that child in that moment. I think that most children actually can manage going to the funeral really quite well. I think so. And it fills in again the child's story. I think people are more comfortable with this idea now. I think some years ago, there was a great deal more apprehension around death and grief. And so there's a lot more hiding and using strange terms for it. But I think people are more comfortable bringing their children to the funeral. We certainly support that and encourage it. And I'm, I'm glad to see that's happening more. But yeah, I think people should keep that in mind as something that uh, an option they should pursue. And then there's lots of traditions around whether a casket is present, whether there's a cremation in an urn, whether the casket's open or closed. We recommend that people follow their family's tradition around that. And you can even talk to your child beforehand about how comfortable they are viewing what is on view and follow your child's lead in terms of what they're comfortable doing there. So we really appreciate those who chose to tune in to this session on death and how to discuss it with your child. A lot of people might be puzzled to know there's a strong connection between the subject of death and the experience of parenting. But I'm reminded early on in my training of a nurse who specialized in helping people deal with death. 
And before that, she was a lactation counselor. I said, how'd you go from uh, counseling people about breastfeeding to counseling people about dying? And she said, from my experience, they're almost the same thing. In other words, these are the great transitions in life. This is when life becomes unavoidably meaningful. And so it is with death. It's one of the beauties of grief, actually, is that the superficial things of life burn away and you're confronted with most powerful feelings, which are loss. And what's one of the most powerful experiences in anyone's life? Parenting. And so I often find that when parents are involved with the issue of uh, helping a child understand the loss of someone they love, the power of connection that's there with parenting becomes all the more visible. It is. It allows a parent, as I say, to feel like a real parent when they're beginning to balance how they're processing their own grief and also supporting their child. There is a whole part of this that we haven't really talked about, and that is magical thinking and how a young child uses magical thinking when it comes to death and illness. We're going to devote an entire podcast to magical thinking, not just how it impacts a child's thoughts on death, but all kinds of everyday situations that will come up in their lives. I look forward to that conversation and really enjoyed having this conversation with you today, Susan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great week. You bet. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.